a train runs on two rails. And in a like manner, our lives run on two rails. So what are the two rails that our lives run on? Well, the first rail is the rail of, of the physical, the, the physical realm, if you will. The physical realm are those things which we experience with our senses, things that we can see and hear and touch and uh, taste and feel. Uh, it's, the, it's the natural world, the physical world that we engage with our five senses. That's one rail that our lives run upon. But there's another rail that our lives run upon that I want to direct your attention to this morning. And it is the spiritual realm or the unseen realm. That realm is just as real as the physical realm, but we don't experience it with our five senses, so we don't give it a lot of thought or attention. And my point this morning is this, if we're going to live victorious lives, we've got to understand the unseen realm. And we've got to learn how to navigate the spiritual world. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're not going to read the entire passage at the beginning. We're going to work our way through uh, verses 1 through 20. I'm just going to read the beginning part of the, the, that passage, and we'll work our way through the rest of the sermon. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And just a reminder, God's Word is truth with no mixture of error. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. I'm grateful for the Bible this morning. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, and the Bible says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for your presence here. We're grateful, Lord, that you are the God of our righteousness, the God of our salvation. We're grateful, Lord, that you are our, our refuge, you are, are our strength, you are our song. We are so grateful to know you and so grateful to have this opportunity to praise you. You are worthy of all of our worship and praise. We think about, Lord, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, the gospel, the good news, the finished work of Jesus that makes a way for us to come into your presence, makes a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, makes a way for us to know you in a personal way. We're grateful for the peace and hope and joy and fulfillment that Jesus Christ gives. And Lord, in these moments we come to you and we ask that you would work. Holy Spirit of God, would you move in our midst as we As we look in your word and think about the unseen realm, open the eyes of our hearts, help us to understand the truths of Scripture, and give us, Lord, desire to to obey, to respond to what we have seen. Lord, would you anoint me as I preach? Would you anoint the hearers? May we leave today knowing we have met with the living God, and we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
It's been my observation these past couple of weeks that God is calling our church to the next level. Think about what we've talked about these last couple of weeks. We talked about the consecrated life as we looked at a vow that Paul made. And I know from response from many of you that God challenged you, and he certainly challenged me in a great way. And then last week we looked at the powerful life, the life of Apollos. And I just believe God is using his word to call us to a higher level as a church. And I love expository preaching. Expository preaching is when you preach through books of the Bible uh, consecutively. The reason I love it is because God sets the agenda. I'm just preaching the next passage. But God is setting the agenda for our church. And I believe that as we've worked our way through Acts, God has gotten to a place in this book where he is calling us to a higher level. And if we're going to live at that higher level, and if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to have impact in our lives, if we're going to live the victorious Christian life, there are some things we have to understand about the unseen realm. Now again, the unseen realm is not something that we can see or taste or feel, but it's just as real as the physical realm, right? So we need to understand a little bit about the unseen realm. And there are some issues raised in Acts 19 that help us to think through that this morning. So, if you look there in your notes, there are two questions to consider concerning the unseen realm. Two questions to consider concerning the unseen realm. Here's the first question. It is a doozy. You ready? Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They say, well, I, I've heard about the Holy Spirit. I know that, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, is God. I mean, I know all of that. We've heard the, the term Holy Spirit, but here, here's my question. Um, are you aware of who he truly is and how he works in our lives? Are you aware of the daily ministry of the Holy Spirit? Now, let me just give you uh, my story on the front end. I grew up in a Baptist church that preached truth, and, and this may just be my, my forgetfulness, but my experience growing up in church was I heard a lot about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sins. I'm grateful for that. I was saved when I was nine years of age as I responded to the gospel. I heard a lot about God our Father, His protection, His care, His provision for our lives. I don't remember, I'm not saying this is, isn't because it didn't happen, but I don't remember much talk about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't think I really understood until I was almost out of college how much I needed the power of the Spirit filling up my life if I was going to live victoriously. I don't think I ever got, I don't think I ever made that connection. And so here's my question. Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I know you know the title, but have you heard of who he truly is and what he does in our lives? Now look here in our text, we're going to see there are some folks that have never heard of the Holy Spirit. It says there in verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now we studied last couple of weeks that Paul left uh, Ephesus and went back to Jerusalem and Antioch, and that ended his second missionary journey. Then he left Antioch, headed back towards Ephesus, where he had left that couple Priscilla and Aquila. And that marks the beginning of his third missionary journey. And so, uh, during his time away, Priscilla and Aquila uh, encounter Apollos. They help him to understand some truths of the Christian faith better so he can preach and teach better. Then Apollos leaves and goes to Corinth. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila stay there in that, that great city of Ephesus. And Paul uh, heads back to Ephesus. And it says, 
Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, look at this response, I love the honesty here, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, who's the Holy Spirit? I mean, who are you talking about? And look what it says next. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So before uh, Paul comes on the scene, they had heard about the Messiah, they'd heard about uh, the, the coming of the Messiah, and they, they had heard the message of John the Baptist, and they were baptized looking forward to the Messiah. But here he says, hey, once you receive Jesus as the Messiah, then you need to be baptized as a symbol of your salvation. So they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And it says there in verse 6, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying they were, there were about 12 men in all. So, who's the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Bible teaches there's one God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. There's one God, and the oneness speaks of his essence and his nature, that which makes God, God. There's one God. And the Bible also speaks that there are three persons who all possess the same essence of Godness. There are three who are called God. So there's one God in essence and nature, and there are three persons who possess uh, the, 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 the characteristics of deity. And the Trinity teaches that there's one God, three persons, God the Father, we talk a lot about God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand this, that God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father. He's the third person of the Trinity. And so, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And listen to me. You get here to this passage where it speaks of them being baptized in the Spirit. Here's what you need to understand. Every Christian is baptized in the Spirit at the moment of conversion. So, I was saved when I was nine years of age. And at that moment of conversion, when I placed my faith in Christ, when I was born again, at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God baptized me. The, the word baptized means to immerse. To, and the Holy Spirit came upon me, placed me in the body of Christ, came to live on the inside of me, and to give me the power I need for the Christian life. That happened at the moment of conversion. 1 Corinthians 12 says that. Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, hey, you've all been baptized in the Spirit. It's not that some are baptized and some are not. If you've been saved, if you're in the body of Christ, you've been baptized in the Spirit. That's the normal experience for every Christian. We're saved, and at the moment of conversion, we are baptized in the Spirit. Now, I've given you a little definition just to remind you of what the baptism of the Spirit is. The baptism of the Spirit is the new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit whereby he indwells believers. Hey, if you're a Christian, listen to me. God lives inside of you. Let that sink in for a moment. If you're a believer, God himself has taken up residence in your life. So it's this new covenant experience where we are, are, are indwelt by the Spirit, placed in the body of Christ, and then empowered for growth and service. So if you're a believer, you've been baptized 
by the Holy Spirit. He's placed you in the body of Christ. He's come to live on the inside of you. He's there to give you the power that you need. Which leads us to an interesting question. In this passage we just read, there is a delay between the believer's conversion to Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 2. Verse 2 it says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they had believed in the Messiah. They, I believe these folks were born again. They were saved. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, it says he found some disciples. So these are Christians. But they've not been baptized with the Spirit yet. Because look what it says down in verse 6. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. This is the, the baptism of the Spirit. Now what's the deal? If the normative Christian experience is to be baptized in the Spirit at the moment of conversion, why is there this delay with these folks in Ephesus? Just like there was a delay in Samaria and a delay in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the disciples did not experience the baptism of the Spirit, even though they were believers in Christ, until Pentecost, right? In Jerusalem. Same thing with some Samaritan believers. So how do we explain the delay in these passages? Well, here we go. The apostles, now this is in your notes. The apostles, as the leaders of the church, needed to witness this Gentile Pentecost so that they would have no doubts that the gospel was for Gentiles too. So I believe, as I've studied Acts, and I, and I look back at this passage and uh, Acts 8, which speaks of the Samaritans being baptized in the Spirit, and Acts 2, which speaks of the uh, Jews, the apostles being baptized in the Spirit, I believe that God is doing something very specific here. Now, remember what Jesus said to his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, After the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And I believe there is a Pentecost-type thing happening as the gospel unfolds to each of those areas. So he said, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Pentecost happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then in, when the gospel went to Samaria, there's another delay between belief and the baptism of the Spirit. I believe that's another Pentecost. So the apostles could say, hey, the gospel is for Samaritans too. And then in this passage, in Asia, the uttermost parts of the earth, there's another Pentecost. A delay between belief and baptism of the Spirit. So Paul could see, hey, the gospel is for Asians too. The gospel is for Gentiles too. That's why there is this delay to, to, to give the early church this, this experience of Pentecost in all these areas so God could show the legitimacy of their belief in Christ. Now here's what's interesting. Notice in verse 7, it says, There were about 12 men in all. Isn't that interesting, 12 men? How many disciples were there? 12. And that was a big deal because when Judas was no longer on the scene. In Acts 1, they elected another one to make 12, remember? And here there are 12. I believe that this delay is the Asian Pentecost. And these 12 men are the foundation of the gospel from Ephesus into Asia. Because look what happens next. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, He, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, the Jews in the synagogue, and took the disciples with him, and, 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 and he was reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he went to the Gentiles to share the gospel. Now look in verse 10. This continued for two years, 
so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Think about that. From home base in Ephesus, these 12 believers are baptized in the Spirit and used by God to get the gospel, the message of Jesus, to all the folks in Asia. That's amazing. That's the power of the Spirit at work. F.F. Bruce says it like this. Paul's coming to Ephesus marks another decisive moment in missionary history. Ephesus was to be a new center for the Gentile mission. The next in importance after Antioch. And these 12 disciples were probably to be the nucleus of the Ephesian church. So there's a delay here because this is a major moment in redemptive history. And Paul needed to see these Asian believers, these Gentile believers, baptized in the Spirit. And so... Here's what we learn from that. The believers that he encounters in Acts 19 needed a special empowering of the Spirit to reach Asia for Christ. They needed the special empowering of the Spirit, this new covenant experience with the Holy Spirit, if they were going to reach Asia for Christ. And here's where it comes back to us in this room. We desperately need the power and the presence of the Spirit. Now listen, do you believe that? Let's let's just pause for a minute. Do you believe that you desperately need the Holy Spirit? It's not just some doctrinal thing that that pastor's talking about, but you believe that you desperately need the ministry of the Holy Spirit active in your life if you're going to live a victorious life. We desperately need the power and presence of the Spirit. And listen, we have the power and the presence of the Spirit. You and I, if we are saved, if we are born again, we have been indwelt by the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. He lives in us, and He will give us the power that we need if we surrender to His will and way. So we need the Spirit, and guess what? We have the Spirit. That's why I'm so... um, disillusioned by a lot of these folks you see on TV and they call people forward and they place their hands on them. They fall back because they've gotten the Spirit. Listen to me. I can't give you any more of the Spirit than you already have. You have all of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, right? Now here's the question. According to that reality, what are we accomplishing? What are we accomplishing in light of that truth? That the third person of the Godhead, and can I just remind you, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is sovereign, He's living in you. What are we accomplishing by the power of the Spirit in light of that truth? Now, let's just say that uh, we're going to save some money on our next building project, which hopefully is getting ready to start soon, but... And, and we said, hey, to save some money, we're going to have church members break up the sidewalk that needs to come up. All right? Sound good? Everybody interested, anybody interested in that? And, and I get two of you out there. I give one of you a hammer, and I give another one a jackhammer. And I say, hey, I'm going to let you work today. Give me eight hours, and I'll come back and check on your progress. And you go to work, breaking up the, the concrete, breaking up the sidewalk to, to, to remove it. Now, when I come back eight hours later, I would fully expect that the person with the jackhammer has gotten more done, right, than the poor guy with the hammer. I mean, because 
That person with a jackhammer has power at their disposal, right? They should get more done. R.G. Lee said it like this. He said, we're giving forth teacup effort with steam shovel abilities. In light of the baptism of the Spirit, and you've been baptized by the Spirit if you've been saved. He's in you. He's put you in the body of Christ. He fills you up and gives you power. In light of the baptism of the Spirit, what are we accomplishing? Are we making a difference? Are our lives distinctive and victorious when you compare them to those that don't know Christ? Do our marriages look different? Do our homes look different? Do we, do we stand out in the, in the workplace, among our friends, among our family? What are we doing with the amazing power of the Holy Spirit who has baptized us and lives inside of us? That's a sobering question, isn't it? Why are we losing our nation? Why is the population increasing in our nation and more and more churches are closing their doors and we're losing ground? Why? Because I don't think we understand the power of the Holy Spirit and see how desperate we are for His daily ministry in our lives. I'll be honest with you, I I never had really even heard of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'd heard the term, but I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit until I was in college. And I was in an internship with Campus Crusade for Christ over a summer. And Bill Bright was still alive then, great man of God, visionary man of God. And he wrote a little... A pamphlet called, Have You Heard of the Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life? And I got to meet Bill Bride, and we went through that little, that little document together, and I, I never heard of the Spirit-Filled Life. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that the Holy Spirit was supposed to have control of my life and give me the power I need to live a victorious Christian life. And so that was the first time I'd really, truly heard of the Holy Spirit. And it made a difference in my life. How about you? Have you heard that there's a Holy Spirit? Do you understand who He is and what He does in the lives of believers? So the first question is, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Secondly, second question, and this is a good one, you ready? Has the enemy heard of you? Has the enemy heard of you? Because look what happens in the next story. This is fascinating because we're talking about the unseen realm. Look what happens in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Hey, let me just say this. I want you to hear your pastor say this uh, every so often. I believe in miracles. I believe that God is, is God. And I believe in the supernatural. And I believe that God did these miracles that we see in his word. I believe God still does miracles today. I believe in the power of God. I feel better saying that, all right? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. He said, who was doing the miracle? God was doing them. Paul was the instrument, but God was doing the miracle. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, the evil spirits came out of them. Extraordinary power here that God is displaying using Paul's instrument. People were just getting healed by touching things that Paul owned. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these folks... They cast out demons for a living. They're they're Jews. And it says they undertook 
to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Why did they decide to start using the name of Jesus? Because they saw the results it got for Paul. They said, well, that's cool. I mean, Paul keeps saying Jesus and supernatural things happen. So, hey, it'll help us in our profession. Let's start using the name of Jesus. So look what happens next. It says there, I adjure you, they would say, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Notice it's not their Jesus, it's Paul's Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. We're going to use his name. We don't really know him, but we're going to use his name. Isn't that interesting? Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Now watch this. Jesus, I know. Of course they knew Jesus. And Paul, I recognize. Paul was pushing back the darkness of lostness with the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They knew Paul. But who are you? The demons had no idea who these guys were because these guys were no threat to the demonic world. Who are you? We know Jesus. We know Paul. Who are you? And so we see here that these seven sons were invoking the name of Jesus without a personal relationship with Jesus. They were just using the name. They were under the banner of Christ. They did not know Christ. And what happens? Well, they were overpowered by this demon-possessed man. Look what it says in verse 16. The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them, all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, I heard a pastor say about this passage, how do you know if you lost a fight? If you go in the house to fight and you come out and you don't have any clothes on, you lost a fight. So they they go in and they're overpowered by this demon-possessed man. They're overpowered by by the enemy. Why? They were just using the name of Jesus. They did not really know Jesus. So here's the principle for us in this room. This is so important. We need a real, genuine relationship with Jesus if we're going to triumph over the enemy. Now listen to me. The unseen realm is just as real as the physical realm. And there is an enemy. The the devil and his demons And the the demonic world is bent on destroying your life and destroying my life. And it's real. And the only way that we can navigate the spiritual world victoriously is if we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Here's what David Peterson writes. Certain Jewish exorcists are prompted to use the name of Jesus in imitation of Paul, but that name is shown to be no magic formula, and those who use it fraudulently are exposed and embarrassed. So here's my question. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? I'm not talking about being a Baptist. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about confirmation classes. I'm asking you, Has there been a a point in time in your life when you have been born again? You've seen your need for a Savior. You've 
You've relied on the finished work of of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. You've placed your trust in him. You've called on his name and asked him to save you. Has there been a point in time in your life when you've been born again, forgiven, transformed, baptized in the spirit? Has that happened in your life? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Just saying his name is not enough. Just signing up to join a church that says his name is not enough. You must have a real, personal, genuine relationship with Christ if you are going to navigate the unseen world and live victoriously. I can't imagine facing the enemy without Jesus in my life. Just can't imagine it. And so... Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Now, if the answer to that question is no, today you can respond. Today you can give your life to Jesus. But if the question is yes, I have a real relationship with Jesus. Here's the question. It's a good one. You ready? Are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Has the enemy heard of you? I know Jesus, the demon said. I've heard about Paul, but who are you guys? You're no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Who are you? So here's the question, and it's a good one. Are you a threat to the enemy? Are you making an impact in the world, living for the glory of God? Now here's what's interesting in this passage. When the, the, the watching community sees these guys overpowered, it makes them see their need for the authentic thing. Not just throwing Jesus' name around, but the authentic thing. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, this, these Jewish exorcists being, being you know, beaten by this demon-possessed man, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So, watch this, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You know what this passage teaches us? False, weak versions of Christianity highlight the need for the real thing. And when people saw these guys just throwing around the name of Jesus and getting defeated by the enemy, they said, hey, we don't need to just throw around the name of Jesus. We need Jesus. And folks get saved as a result of seeing these guys defeated by the enemy. And so here's the principle. We cannot live in victory over the demonic realm without Jesus. It's not going to happen. We cannot live in victory over the demonic realm without Jesus. You may say, wait, I'm not a follower of Christ, but my life is going fine. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to think everything's fine until you die and go to hell. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. He's he's bent on destruction. So if we're going to, to navigate the unseen realm, We need a real relationship with Jesus. David Peterson says it like this, The ignominious defeat of the Jewish exorcist by the demon showed the Ephesians that Jesus is a power that cannot be controlled. He will not act as a lackey for anyone who calls on his 
name. One of my trips, I can't remember if my first or second one, but my, one of my trips to India, we went to a village and we trained um, believers on sharing their faith and reaching out and starting uh, groups in their homes. And we were in this small little building and, and there were men and women there. And uh, it was Trey and I and we were, we were teaching in this room and, and taught uh, most of the day. When we returned... Uh, I got an email from one of the folks we were working with over there, and uh, he said, uh, do you remember the girl that was uh, wearing white? And I didn't remember who he was talking about, but he sent a, a picture of us teaching uh, in, the, uh, in the church, and uh, there was a, a girl there wearing white. She was probably, I don't know, early 20s. And, uh, and she was on her knees with her, her hands like this. And she was, at that time in the, the, the lesson, she was, she was praying. And he gave us a little bit of backstory because he talked to the pastor about this young girl um, who was wearing white praying there in that church. Uh, just shortly before we had arrived there, this uh, young lady, according to the pastor, was demon-possessed. Uh, she would not calm down. They couldn't get her to calm down. She was causing disturbance and trouble for her family and people in the community. And this pastor and some other Christians had an opportunity to pray over her and, 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 and ask God to, to cast that spirit out of this young girl's life. So when Trey and I were around her, we had no idea of her background. She was just a, a Christian lady on her knees praying in the middle of the, the gathering of believers but she had just been delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. And she had a real relationship with Jesus. So what I want you to understand is this stuff is, this is not just um, speculation. This is not just ancient. This, is, this, this stuff is real. The unseen realm is real. And if we're going to navigate that unseen realm, we need a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with. We've talked about, we talked about two questions. Number one, have you heard the Holy Spirit? Not have you heard the name Holy Spirit or title Holy Spirit. I mean, do you understand who He is? And, and the, your need for His daily ministry in your life. Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? It's time that we start talking about the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because we can't live the Christian life without His power in flowing in and through us. Have you heard the Holy Spirit? And has the enemy heard of you? Our lives run on two rails, the physical realm and the unseen realm. And here's what I want you to walk away with. A genuine relationship with Jesus and the power of the Spirit are necessary for victorious living. A genuine relationship with Jesus and the power of the Spirit are necessary for victorious living. And that's how you navigate the unseen realm.